This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. So when did the solution occur to you? Well, there's a good chance it just seemed to pop into your head one day. But how and why? Ronald Alexander can answer that for many people. He says destruction-free time can often lead to an open mind, tapping core creativity, intuitive wisdom, and knowledge. Mr. Alexander is a psychotherapist, a mindfulness trainer, and a creativity, business, and leadership coach with a private psychotherapy and executive coaching practice based in Southern California. In Biz News interviews, he talks about the possibilities available to open the mind and stimulate creative responses. Okay. Doctor, let's uh, let's set the table for our listeners and viewers, if you would, by giving them a little bit about your background. Where it, where did you get to, where and why? Well, I started out in business administration in a college in Boston. And then I transferred to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, which in between 1970 and 1973 was a wonderful cauldron for um, the great masters and teachers and gurus of uh, the 60s and 70s. So at Amherst College, where we had a speaker series, I would go over there and visit, and um, we would have uh, once a month um, Alan Watts, uh, Ken Kesey, uh, Joe Campbell, um, and many, many other um, great notables of, of, of the time come to teach. Sasaki Roshi, the great Zen master from uh, Los Angeles uh, Zen Center, and in my junior year, um, I transferred to a dorm, and right next door, there was another dorm, and it was called the Project 10 Living Learning Complex. And so we had a lot of um, university without walls classes. And there was this wonderful um, woman in her mid to late 70s named Teresa uh, Havens. And she had been on the faculty at Yale in the Buddhist Studies Department. And one afternoon, around five or six, when it was starting to snow, I saw about 30 people in the courtyard. And they were making this kind of strange, very slow movements. And so I immediately went down after watching for about 10 minutes and joined in. And it was a class on Tai Chi Chuan. And then she um, invited me to participate in a series of other classes that she was teaching at the Project 10 uh, complex on death and dying. And then she told me about this young man who had stayed for a fifth year because um, he was attempting to get into um, become a road scholar. Uh, in or Danforth a fellow, and he, it's the late Dr. Daniel P. Brown from Boston. And so I met him when I was a young um, bachelor student, and he was finishing his fifth year. And he went on to 
the University of Chicago and got a double degree in divinity and in psychology and went on to write about 15 to 20 books. And I've, I mentored with him uh, for those early years in Amherst and then stayed as a professional colleague of his for the next 50 years of, of our lives. So I was really in the ground floor of um, the consciousness, the altered states of consciousness uh, movement. And I also had the unique opportunity to both practice and teach Kundalini Yoga. And I was invited as a young uh, BA student to go to the uh, Menninger Clinic and to teach Carl Menninger, the prestige psychoanalytic center in Topeka, Kansas, about meditation and yoga. And he was very, very uh, interested um, in, in that. And um, while I was in Amherst, also one of the distinguished visiting uh, professors was Dr. Stanley Krippner, who was a very famous and renowned parapsychologist at the time. He ran the Marmon alert from software update. He he ran the Marmonis Dream Lab in uh, Brooklyn, and at that time he was also um, researching altered states of consciousness. And he, he was writing an article on his experience of traveling with the Grateful Dead and getting their experiences about how psychedelics influenced their music and their creativity. So. Um, and then an another fellow came to uh, Amherst. He was invited. His name was uh, Dr. John Heider, and he was a Gestalt therapist from the Esalen Institute. And he was a first um, generation student of Frederick Pearls, who was one of the co-developers of Gestalt therapy. And so I started to study and to train with John Heider. And I was exposed to Gestalt therapy, um, even though I was in my own um, psychoanalytic-oriented therapy, I got exposed to Gestalt therapy, and that sort of like just it completely blew the doors off on, well, I think th this is my tribe. I mean, these are my people, um, because it was so uh, experimental and creative. You have... Uh... It's like you have grown up with Ben Franklin, the Wright brothers, and Thomas Edison all rolled into one. Uh, that has taken you a, a long way. And we're here today to talk about one of your latest efforts. And you've written a number of books. But the most recent one has one of the most uh, provoking titles that we have heard of in years, Find Creative Solutions by emptying your mind. What on earth do you mean by that? Well, in the book, Core Creativity, um, and that's the new book that, that's out, is that what I say is that by you have to uh, empty your mind in order to receive um, what's new, what's fresh and original. And there's an old Zen story where in Japan, this young foreigner um, climbs halfway up Mount Fuji to a Zen uh, temple. And every day he knocks on the door and 
and then master opens the door in a little window says come back tomorrow closes the door he does this over the course of a week then two weeks three weeks then finally the zen master invites him in and sits him down talks with him for a few minutes and immediately calls for a tea and puts out two teacups and he begins to start pouring tea into the young student's teacup and he keeps pouring and pouring and the student is horrified because the tea is pouring out uh, everywhere and the student stands up and says what are you doing master and the master says when you when the mind is full there's nothing that the student can take in to the cup of the mind you must empty the cup and he turns the cup upside down before you can be uh, nourished and uh, receive the enlightened and the awakened teachings so in my book core creativity i have a, one of many many meditations and exercises but one of them is um, the no self meditation and it's really about emptying the mind letting go of your ego your um, attachment and your identification with i me mine which always interferes with being able to be a fresh um, empty cup of self in original in imaginative inventive creativity comes from when we empty ourselves we we free ourselves from the known we explore not knowing not doing not needing to know and not needing to do it's, and most, it seems if you don't mind uh my saying this pretty counterintuitive when we want to get something done don't we just have to bear down and and sort of get it done uh, mentally when we're involved in something that's a, a little bit more rote in linear yes absolutely just make a list identify the top three to five things that you don't want to do and then go and do it but counterintuitive when we want to open up a new pasture or a new farmland in the garden of self what we want to do first is symbolically we we empty our mind we get very quiet in order to become receptive and that's very similar to in farming excellent farmers know that you don't um, plant the same crop every year on the same piece of land they let some of the pieces of land grow what's called fallow and they rotate so that they can say take um, corn uh, or wheat A after they've harvested the top part of the plant they take their tractors and they till the soil and they turn everything underneath the soil and they let it uh, into a mulch in in both alchemy and in um, the vedas from india we talk about the importance you empty yourself and 
free the self of all identification to I, to then get very quiet and very still and to allow the mud, the mud of self, which is the alchemical symbol for the, the richness of the creative fertile void to emerge. And I have a, another meditation in the book called Entering the Fertile Void. And the fertile void in Buddhism, in Buddhist philosophy, we talk about, um, we aspire first to become somebody so that we have to kind of build up our sense of self. And then after we've uh, become somebody and we have our life and we have our ducks in order, we can make our bed, we can pay the rent, we can have a what's called um, good, healthy livelihood uh, in, in Buddhist thought, is then we begin to empty the self and we allow the alchemical mud of creativity to come up from underneath and also to come down from above so that we have these two portals the creative mud is emerging from Gaia, Mother Earth. And that's why in both Taoism um, and in mindfulness thinking, when um, we want to empty, but also become receptive to our creativity. In the book, what I talk about is that I interviewed many, many uh, renowned uh, artists, musicians, actors, writers, uh, filmmakers. And they all, I asked them, well, what are your daily rituals? Like, what do you do consistently that allows you to be, be consistently creative? And every single one of them said they take a daily walk. And it's usually a daily walk in silence. And for example, um, the renowned uh, computer entrepreneur, Steve Jobs, whenever he had a very deep decision to make either on a business level or on a design level, he would go and he would take a, a walk. And the same thing when he had a hiring decision, he wouldn't meet in a restaurant. He'd invite the person to come to his home whether it was in Woodacre, which was more up in the mountains, uh, or then when he moved and started a family down in Palo Alto, he would invite people to meet him at his house. And in, instead of sitting down and having coffee or tea, he'd go for a 30-minute, 60, 90, 120-minute walk with the person and do all of his business while he was walking. Because that would allow him to enter into this very first state of creativity that I write about in the book. It's called Absorbing Mind. And so the daily walk. Other notables uh, I, that I interviewed have a daily ritual of, for example, I didn't interview him, but I read about him, Ernest Hemingway. No matter how arousing, drunken night before, whether he went to bed at nine o'clock drunk as a skunk or one in the morning, he got up every morning 
like as if he was in the military at 6 a.m brewed a big fresh pot of coffee and began to write and most of the creators i interviewed they all were early uh, risers now there was a certain percent that liked to sleep in late and then they wrote in the afternoon or um um, uh, in the in the evening but most really followed the um, biorhythms of the sun going down and they winded up their work day um, in the mid-afternoon and then rested and then like took the walk and then had an early dinner and then often would creatives invite people to come over fellow creatives and to either watch movies together or listen to music or to to read some of the uh, screenwriters that I interviewed invite other screenwriters to come over and to to read what uh, people have written and so there's a way of uh, that I describe in the book called creativity of organizing your day um, around a creativity flow so that uh, as I say in the book the the streams that you swim in, meaning if you swim with fellow fish that are also creatives, and you immerse yourself in those streams or those ponds, mm-hmm. you will um, be in the company of like-minded creatives. And there's an old spiritual saying, you'll be in the company of the holy. Of all of this, what was the hardest thing for you to uh, bring into your own life and and why? Well, the most difficult thing for me was I'm at an astrological sign, sun sign, Scorpio. Scorpio is a um, an integration of being very extroverted being a teacher, a professor, a meditation teacher, uh, a mind-body psychotherapist, uh, an executive creativity leadership coach. And I've always had an enormous amount of energy. And so the external part of myself is very extroverted. But the deeper core of myself is an introvert. And so it took me many decades of meditation practice to discover that instead of going really, really fast in order to be a creative, that the slower, and as I slowed down, I was able to tap into and to experience receiving from my unconscious the creative flow. And so now, and I wish I had known this when I was a young man, but that's what they say wisdom is all about, um, is there's an old saying in um, Taoism also, that the slower he goes towards the path of awakening, the faster enlightenment will arrive. The faster that you pursue awakening the slower the path of enlightenment will arrive to you so the biggest takeaway is don't be in a rush slow down 
be mindful. Take an opportunity not only to smell the roses, as they say, but what's even more important is the Buddha is at the gas pump. The Buddha is the bank teller. The Buddha is your gardener. And that each person that you interact with each and every day has something to teach you or something to touch your soul with. And if you're always rushing and doing everything so fast, you miss a lot of the important teachings that creatively uh, the people in beings, we, we attract and we draw to us in our energy field, in our energy, uh, uh, we create an energy for vortex, a positive energy vortex for creativity. And we get nourished by all of the beings that we interrelate with. And so the path of interbeing is dynamically connected to slowing down. So the slower I go, the more expansive I become. Whereas I used to think the faster I go, then I'll be expansive. But it's actually, it's it's the opposite. In some ways, um, do less and meditate more, and then you'll be able to do more. I wonder if this could ever uh, catch on in American society where everything is go, 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 go. Well, it's a, that's a very good question. And um, I've been teaching now uh, in various corporations over two decades now. I've consulted for Apple and Sun Microsystems and um, Universal and Pitches and Disney. And corporations are, oh i was recently lecturing at snapchat now the company known as snap and another dot-com company similar to facebook and they invited me to come to talk about mindfulness and creativity and the average age was 22 to 32 and most of them were young um engineering uh, grads, either with a BA or a master's degree in either engineering or computer science. And so as I was lecturing and I was talking about the importance of meditating 20 minutes twice a day, in the first pass, I noticed that as soon as I said that, uh, almost 70% of the room took out their uh, tablets and their iPhones, and they were Googling and once they they fell upon that there was actual research, mindfulness scientific research that supported that with as little as 20 minutes of mindfulness meditation twice a day, the mid-insula, the part of the brain that's responsible for, for learning and growing, that in the past, scientifically, it was assumed that by the age of 80, you're um, gray brain cells began to diminish and so then it was often called like with our grandparents you know they parked my grandfather in the corner of a room after he retired at age 65 and it was the slow decline until he passed well now after dr sarah lazar who's now at the harvard 
Mind Brain Institute, but she did this research at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology at Massachusetts General Hospital. And she discovered that with as little of eight to 12 weeks, with completely beginning and intermediate meditators, that after eight to 12 weeks, they could progress from being novices to being middle to advanced stage meditators, and they could increase the amount of gray matter in the mid-insula of the brain, as well as to turn on the left prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for um, allowing us to set in motion our parasympathetic uh, nervous activity. So we're at a unique time in history. If you turn on the television, you see commercials where people are doing yoga. And um, when I was teaching at UCLA uh, in the early 70s, the whole concept of introducing mindfulness meditation was heresy. We offered to teach this course at the uh, David Geffen School of Medicine for about 250 doctors uh, called Heal Healing the Healer, uh, a program to um, promote uh, healing for burnout. And it took us at least two years to matriculate through all of the powers that be. Now at UCLA, in the same medical uh, school, there's an entire center called MARC, the Mindfulness Awareness Research Center was co-founded by Dr. Daniel Siegel and um, a young uh, woman from Brown University, Diana Winston. And you see, we're at this crucial place in history where technology is capturing our attention. And everything is about faster, quicker. And yet, our culture there's more people doing yoga and more meditators today than at any point in history. And at one point in history, certain religious faiths, faiths were like the number one, two, and three. Now, most people have abandoned um, participating in those kind of old religious um, pathways and are much more interested in new age faiths and religions like yoga, Tai Chi, Jikung, uh, Aikido, um, yogas, uh, because people recognize the need to get out of being glued to their iPhones and their uh, computers and tablets and to spend more time emptying the mind, getting quiet, and listening to the still voice. The Quakers call it the still sacred reverie of within that by taking time each day the quakers used to say that's where the magic is you know um if you want to see the magic get quiet learn to be still learn to quiet the waves of thought in the mind that then allow you to swim in that stream of creativity with all the other creative fish and in my book a core creativity, I talk about that once you start swimming with other creatives, you can create what I call the creativity pod. 
in the creativity part is you start to invite other people to swim with you. Let me ask you this in that regard then, uh, Doctor. You must have a website where people can get more information. What would that be? It's uh, called Core Creativity um, and dot com and then ronaldalexander.com those are the two uh, best places and then um my book the current book is called core creativity the mindful way to unlock your creative self and my first book which is a wonderful um odyssey into mindfulness meditation and uh creative psychology um is called Wise Mind, Open Mind, Finding Purpose and Meaning in Times of Crisis, Loss, and Change. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.